0: We're in a series we started last week, and I think it's a good series. It's going to be for 15 weeks. We're going to go through the Songs of Ascent. These are a particular group of psalms in your Bible. There's 150 psalms, but these Psalms of Ascent are in a a collection of 15. And uh, these 15 songs were used by the pilgrims as they made their way in the three annual pilgrimages to uh, Jerusalem and at other times probably as well but certainly during those times they made their way to Jerusalem and these were part of a a little hymnal that they would use to sing and uh, believe me the songs that they sang and the way they sang these not like anything you've ever heard they were probably more chants and more foreign Uh, they certainly were not uh, anything like western music. And uh, I think we need to remember that, that these were written uh, to be sung or chanted or spoken uh, by a group of people as they went along their way. They knew them. They knew them well enough to sing them together. Uh, People didn't read in those days. They memorized. It was not the plethora of books. There was uh, very few books, very few scrolls. They were extraordinarily valuable and most people couldn't read. So they... They memorized these songs and they would sing or chant them as they went along their way. So we're going to read, last week we looked at 120, that's the first one in this group. And uh, today we're going to look at 121. So if you have your Bible, you can open to this, it's a very familiar psalm, one that you all will recognize. It's also printed in your bulletin, so if you don't have your Bible, it's okay, you can just read it from there. Now hear God's word. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, the moon at night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is God's Word. I told you uh, last week, John Calvin Uh, in his preface to the book of Psalms, he said this, It is my custom to call this book, he's talking about the entire book of Psalms, an anatomy of all parts of the soul. For there is no emotion anyone can experience whose image is not reflected in this mirror. Indeed, here the Holy Spirit has drawn to life all the pains and sorrows, the fears and doubts, the hopes and cares and anxieties. In short, all the turbulent emotions with which men's minds are commonly stirred. Here, listen to this, here the prophets themselves speaking with God undercover, uncover all their inner feelings, and call each one of us to examine ourselves, thus is left hidden not one of the very many infirmities or weaknesses to which we are subject, not one of the very many vices, the sins, with which we are stuffed. I love that. It is a rare and singular achievement when all the recesses of the heart are laid bare and purged of all hypocrisy, which is the most baneful infection of all and is brought to the light of day see the psalms were designed to act as a mirror in other words you read them and they're not long. well 119 is long 176 verses but most of them are rather short and especially these 15 in this corpus this body of psalms which are the songs of ascent and the breadth think of this folks the breadth and the depth of these psalms are su- are they stunning Their ability to connect you, to to strip away all the falsehood, all the masks that we put on, especially when we come to church. I mean, we, we really doll ourselves up when we come to church and we walk through those doors, we become different people. But God sees us, and if we're willing, He will strip all that away and lay us bare. Not in front of others. Very often people are not as kind as He is. So, but He will open your heart. He'll open you and lay you bare so that you can see into those dark recesses where there are things that are pent up. Emotions and fears and doubts. All of the things which are common to us. And there He will meet you. You see, the Psalms, the entire Psalms, all the Psalter, is a book of worship. And these 15 particularly are a book of worship. It's for you to go, not only on Sunday in church in this corporate gathering, but individually when you're at home and you're reading through them and you're thinking, what is this saying to me? Psalm 120, which we looked at last week, the way these psalms are organized, it's just, it's beautiful. Psalm 120, the first one, starts out with the pilgrim kind of waking up. He has an awakening moment. He realizes that he is not where he belongs. He's in a foreign land, a, a place far from God. He's in Meshech or Kidar. These were two areas, Meshech far to the north, Kidar far to the south, and out in the desert, the tents, these black tents of the Bedouins, the the, the, the ones who roam in the wilderness. He said, I'm, I'm in Meshach, I'm in Kedar, I'm far from God. The poetry is absolutely lovely. It's bringing you in. It's going in and saying, "What? where are you? Do you feel that alienation? Do you feel daily that you're not where you belong? You know, the, we're baptizing these beautiful children this morning, little guys, little gals. Do you realize, folks, that these little ones are on their own pilgrimage? Their own journey, yes, they're in your family, yes, they're little and they tag along with us, but make no mistake, they're on a journey as well, their own journey, and their journey, God willing, will outlast yours, and our job is to prepare them to see the world around them the way it really is, not to hide, I know we have to shelter them from some things, But in age appropriate ways, folks, we have got to show our kids, just like we show ourselves, that we're not home by a long shot. We are not home yet. We're still wandering, we're still pilgrims. And in 120, this pilgrim says, They want war, I want peace. And he makes a decision to get up and go to Jerusalem. And that's what you see. 120, 121, 122, all the way to 134. In 134, he arrives in Jerusalem. He's in God's presence and there's great joy. In 120, he starts out in great distress. He's in Meshach, he's in Kedar. He's surrounded by people that are telling lies and are just hostile to him. But he makes his way through these 15 psalms of ascent as he goes up to Jerusalem. You see, Jerusalem was a high point, And if you came from the coast, the Mediterranean, you had to go up. And if you came from the plains, the desert in Jordan, the Transjordan, all that area, you had to go up. And so there was an ascent to go to God. The pilgrim embarks. So he's off on his journey. Put yourself in his shoes because... You are in his shoes. We're on this journey. And he's moving along, and he's looking around him. Yesterday, I went for a walk, uh, and uh, I go down in this arroyo by my house. It's above the tennis club. And uh, the whole walk, is. Uh, I went three miles. And you all know that I'm having trouble with my balance because I'm getting old, and I have, I have other things wrong with me. Uh, too much, I don't want to make the sermon about that. Uh, so I carry these two uh, sticks. Uh, they're called trekking poles. And they're uh, to help me stay balanced when I go walking. Was you're walking, you know, trails are not on top of mountains. Trails are down in the low places because you want to pick the path of least resistance. They didn't have uh, bulldozers and technology and stuff like that back in those days. So when pilgrims made their way, they found these roads, and these roads were often in between hills and so they were looking up this pilgrim embarks and he looks up and he sees these hills so we're going to look at several things today first of all we'll look at those hills and then we're going to look at the question he asks where does my help come from what's and remember this is this is beautiful poetry it's not uh, he's not it's not a just uh, raw teaching this is poetry so he's singing or chanting these ideas Where's my help? Look at these hills. Where does my help come from? What do you see? The hills. Help. He knows he's going to need help on the pilgrimage. I assume you know you need help. I need those trekking poles. Otherwise, I'd, I'd be falling down. And then I'd have to get on the phone and I'd have to call Dawson or somebody to come get me, which has happened before. And so, we need help when we're on these rough pathways making our way through life. And it can be rocky and it can be rough and it can be difficult. Eugene Peterson in his book um, um, Along Obedience in the Same Direction which is about these 15 Psalms says this. Listen. For many... The first great surprise of the Christian life, the Christian journey, the Christian pilgrimage, is in the form of the troubles we meet. You see, we get out there, folks, on this road, and we, we encounter trouble. And I don't know how you came to Jesus. I came to Jesus with people telling me, hey, you come to Jesus and all your troubles are going away. You can have wealth. You can have health. You can have perfect everything. If your faith is strong enough, and if you trust Him, you can speak your own reality into this world. This is called the word faith me. The biggest churches in the United States are teaching this. You can have what you say. You can have it all. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven. You can have it now. Well, obviously they haven't read these 15 psalms. Because they're saying, no, you're going to have trouble out there. And I think a lot of us are caught by surprise. We get get surprised. Evil comes and evil inflicts itself into our lives. And we think, gosh, I'm a Christian. I'm doing the best I can. I'm trusting Jesus. How come this is happening to me? One of our journey guys years ago, and uh, I I hear from him and his wife every week. They loved our church and they're gone now. They're in Washington, D.C., where the apocalypse is going to start, as you know. Um, and he asked me one day, he said, Chuck, you say the Gospel's in everything. Where is the Gospel? I want to ask you a question. Where is the Gospel in the book of Job? And I said, the Gospel in the book of Job is that the innocent suffer. That this life spares no one. That the best of men, the best of women, the best of people suffer. And how are you going to make your way? If you don't know that, if you don't trust the Lord, that the, the troubles that are coming into your life sometime are not because of anything. You did. We're just living on this journey through the wilderness, making our way back to God. And it's hard. It's rough going. Job was a man who was innocent and he suffered. What does that tell us about the Gospel? That we are on a pilgrimage to find that innocent sufferer who made his way through that ugly wilderness for us, as us. Not so we wouldn't have to make this pilgrimage, but so that we could. Knowing that He's at the end. He's in Jerusalem. He's in the temple. He is the new temple. And that's the Christian hope. And this is what the pilgrim is telling us, what the psalmist is telling us. The hills, the help we need, and what is the shape of that help so those three things very quickly look at one I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come he's looking around and those hills were the places where they made sacrifice the hills were where all of the ancient Near East gods and gods elsewhere you wonder why they have these pyramids uh, you know in South America that are built up on these peaks because that's where the gods lived And in the ancient Near East, every high place, every hill, had a shrine or something. And they would go there to make sacrifices because if you were on a hill, you were what? You're closer to God. The gods. He, she, it, them, whatever you think God is, where do you find them? Up there. Now you might also find them down here, usually where there are trees. You wonder about that. Well, the trees had roots. The roots went down into the underground. That's where a whole other group of gods lived, in the underworld. And so in the cosmology of the ancient Near East, high places, under trees, these were places where there were shrines, places to worship. And so listen to this from Derek Kidner, great Old Testament scholar. The hills are enigmatic. In other words, they're puzzling. Does the opening line show an impulse to take refuge in the hills like David did in in Psalm 11 where he says, I'm going to flee to the hills like a bird so I can hide and be safe. Is it that? Refuge? Or are the hills, listen to this, are the hills themselves a menace? A threat? You see, you're walking along and these hills are looming above you and you know that these cosmological entities live up there and they have great power. In fact, they toy with human beings. They play with us. They taunt us. They tempt us. They harm us. And they're not there to do anything good for us. But sometimes we resort to them. We run to them because oh, we need their help. But those ancient Near East gods were capricious. They were worse than human beings. Or are the hills amentis Mentis, the haunt of robbers? Either way, the pilgrim, listen folks, the pilgrim knows something else. He looks away from the dangers they may hold or the safety they may promise. And he looks beyond To the One who made the hills and everything else besides the God who is the Creator and His keeping power. You see the pilgrims, especially these Jewish pilgrims who were making their way from sometimes captivity in Babylon probably with respect to this psalm captivity in Babylon and they're making their way back to Jerusalem and they're going they've had hard times 70 years of hard times and they're making their way back and they're singing they're worshiping God where is our help not the hills they're saying not the. they're walking through the hills imagine not you no not you the one who made you whether you're a cosmic evil or whether you're just a hunt of robbers, doesn't matter what you are, you hills, you places of sacrifice, I worship the One who made you. Oh my gosh, folks. Do you see the power in that? You wake up in the morning, you remind yourself that you are a servant of the living God. Remind these little kids. You, the little kids this morning didn't make any promise to God. God made a promise to them. And as weak as their little lives are, and as weak as their little promises are, his is greater. He made promises. And those are the promises that we often forget and we think, oh, what did I do wrong? How come I'm not? Why isn't it? You're not doing anything wrong. That isn't why you're going through this trouble. Trouble's just here, folks. It's here because of sin and death. And God promised us if we will make our pilgrimage to Him, that He will make sure we make it all the way. Where is my help going to come from? And then He answers this. My help, look at verse 2. He asks the question, He answers it. It's a song, remember, so there's refrains and singing. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. A little Hebrew lesson. The word help. This is one of the words, uh, there's a few words in Hebrew you ought to know. Here's one of them. The word help in Hebrew is ezer. And ezer is the word that God used when he said to Adam, there's nobody that can help you. I don't find a help that is suitable for you. So he makes a woman to be his help. His Ezra Now we think, uh, we think that, well, maybe he made uh, uh, Eve to be his assistant. You know, like the magician, and he's got his, his pretty gal next to him that holds the dove or whatever, and he saws her in two, and he does all these things. That's not what Ezra means. Why? Because Ezra is used mostly, almost overwhelmingly, the majority of time it's used, it's used of God himself. Interesting, isn't it? Ezra, the woman God made for the man, is the same word he uses for himself. The one who comes, the one who is at our side from our rib, who is there to enter the battle with us, to share the burdens with us, to be there to help us, because you're not going to make it by yourself, big boy. You're going to need that person next to you. Now, if you're not married, I understand, you have God next to you. But if you are married, that's what she's there for. To equally, step by step, walk by your side, sharing everything with you, facing every battle with you, in no way, not any way, subordinate, because God isn't subordinate to you. Right? Think of the power in that. How we miss it. I don't know. Maybe we need to learn more Hebrew. My help comes from the Lord. He is my helper. This is every week, folks. I ask you, will you trust him at the end of the sermon? Will you trust him? You know, faith is not some power that you have in you, some some commodity that you have. No. Faith is a decision. When you get out of bed in the morning, you're going to have to decide where your help's going to come from. Right? Where's it going to come from? God helps those that help themselves. Yeah? Please say no. No. My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. He is the one... Every moment. Faith is not something you do once and then you just kind of coast after that. You're going to have to decide to trust Him every minute of every day, every moment, every month, every year, year by year, whether you're in the valley, on the mountaintop, whether the road is rocky or smooth. You will have to trust Him. This is what a life of faith. It's a life of pilgrimage. It's a life of movement, of going And as you're going, you're looking and you're seeing the hills. They may be a menace. They may promise refuge. But you don't look at that. You look beyond that because they are false promises. False refuge. And false menace. They can't touch you. You die and what happens to you? Things get better. Yeah? Things get better. We don't have to fear the hills. And we certainly don't need to look to them for our safety because they're they're liable to fall on you just as much as hide you. You remember Lord of the Rings? The Fellowship? The Nine Walkers? They're making their way to uh, 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 Mordor to go dispose of the ring and they come to caradhras these awful terrible mountains and they can't make it the mountain trolls are throwing big rocks on them and snow and it's horrible so they have to make their way back down but where was the place of safety the place of safety was rivendell where the elves lived and that's where they could go and find rest the hills make promises but they don't often come through so what is the shape? Look, I love this. What is the shape of that help? When we say help, I'm going to try to frame it the way the psalm does. And I hope it will help you, and it may di- maybe it will disturb you. I don't know. If it disturbs you, I hope you'll come talk to Dawson and myself. I'm hopeful that it will help you. What is the shape of the help? Well, the shape of the help is another Hebrew word Shamar, and it means to keep. This is what the refrain is, the rest of the psalm. In fact, some scholars say that's all the psalm's about. It's about God keeping you. What does that mean? God keeping you. What does it mean? Listen. To take care of, to guard, this involves keeping or tending to things such as, listen, a garden, a flock of sheep, a house... David, King David, his son Absalom, rebelled against him, stole the kingdom away from him, set up a tent on top of David's house, and in front of all the people in Israel, Absalom brought in all of David's concubines and had sex with them on top of the mountain, in front of everybody, on top of the house, in front of everywhere everyone could see. He betrayed his father to that extent. And David has to leave, flee Jerusalem. And they were singing these psalms. They're on their way out into the wilderness and David is, is, he is, what am I going to do? This is terrible. My son has betrayed. My son Absalom betrayed me. When they get to where they're going, David knows it's time. He's got to go back and he's got to regain the kingdom and he's got to put Absalom down. And he sends his general, Joab, the Commander of the Lord's army. And this is what he tells Joab. You want to know? Do you want to know how God looks at you? The tender love, the care, the passion that he has for you. Listen to what David says to his commander, Joab, because he knows that Joab and his army, this group of they're going to slaughter Absalom. He knows it. David was a warrior. Listen to what he says to, to his commander. When you see my son, watch over him. Shamar, spare him. Watch over, guard him. And when Joab finds him, he slaughters him. And when David hears that his son was not kept, was not protected. He weeps. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son, would to God I had died in your place. Folks, do you hear God's keeping of you in that? Would to God that I could die in your place. Wow. He will not look the keeping, the shape of that keeping he will not let your foot be moved. The instability, like I was telling you, walking in the arroyo, the, the rocks, the, 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 sometimes it's sand, it's soft, and you know, you can lose your step. No, He will not let your foot slip. Think of backsliding. You know, we talk Christians talk all the time about backsliding and, oh my God, I've fallen away from the Lord and I've got to get back to the Lord. Well, good luck with that. I've got to get back to the Lord. You know what? If it was up to you to get back to the Lord, when do you think you would ever get there? When? Never. Thank you, Christ the King. Are you catching on? Never. You're not going to get back. No. When you find out you're far away, you've backslidden. You've made a mess of your life, and it could happen daily. I don't know what it. I don't know what happens to you. For me, it's sometimes every day. I'm having to deal with some junk in my life. And I turn, I turn to the Lord, and before I can take one step, what do I see? Him. You see, that's the only way you get back from backsliding is that He's there, not off in Meshach or Kedar. He's not off in. He's not in some place. He's next to you. Well, do, doesn't do, bumper sticker theology will say this? You know, bumper sticker theology is terrible. Don't listen. If you feel distant from the Lord, who moved? Isn't that great theology? The implication is you moved and now it's your responsibility to get back to Him. Good luck with that. That's why Christians just give up. Because they don't understand that God's tender heart is towards you. I am your help. I'm going to keep you. Well, what does that mean, Lord? Look at the evil that's around me. This is where I think you can find freedom, folks. I have. I think you can find freedom from this. He is the one. Look at verse 3 and 4. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he won't slumber or sleep. He's not asleep. You know, you, if you watch National Geographic and stuff, you see the uh, in, in Tibet and Nepal and in Japan and places like this, the uh, people will go into the shrine Uh, To pray to the gods or to their ancestors, and what's the first thing they do? Do any of you know? What's the first thing they do when they walk into a shrine? Nobody watches National Geographic but me. They walk into the shrine, and the first thing they do, yeah? You've all seen that, right? Why did they do that? They got to wake them up because they're sleeping. No, he doesn't sleep. He's not slumbering. He's watching over you like you... You know, you bring your little kids home from, from the hospital like this little precious jade, our newest covenant baby. You bring them. And what do you do? You watch over them. You don't sleep, do you, parents? You'd like to. No, you watch in them because you don't want it. Not even one breath do you want left unguarded unkept, unwatched. Do you know this? God is looking over you every moment. He's not asleep. He's looking. He's watching. He's caring for you. Why then? Why does it seem like He's asleep? Why does the trouble come? Look at 5 and 6. The Lord is your keeper. He's repeating, keep, keeper, keep, keep. He's your shade. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The sun and moon in the ancient Near East were gods. The sun god in Egypt and the moon deities over in the Arabian Peninsula and Mesopotamia. These were gods. Sun god, moon god, the light striking you. There was cosmological threat that you couldn't control. There was also the natural threat. You know, you go out in the desert, I have to carry a lot of water with me when I go because I like to go later in the day. I don't have a thyroid and so I'm I'm cold all the time. So I like getting warmed up by the sun. But it can get too hot. You can get too hot and so you need water. You got to stay hydrated, yeah? Stay hydrated. He's saying they won't touch you. How can he say that? Why is our experience so different? Here it is, folks. If this does not set you free, I don't know, maybe you can't be free. But listen to me. Why does our experience, why does it feel like He's asleep? Eugene Peterson says this, on every page of the Bible, every page of the Bible is recognition that faith encounters troubles. The promise, listen to this, the promise is not that we will never stub our toe, but that no injury, no illness, no accident, no distress will have evil power over us, will be able to separate us from God's purposes in us. One of the great men in the PCA just died, Tim Keller. Tim Keller channeled perfectly C.S. Lewis and Jonathan Edwards and some other of the, the, the old dead folks that we admire. And Jonathan Edwards said this, The Bible, listen, The Bible does not teach that Christians are safe from evil things. But it does teach that we are safe from the evil in everything. Do you feel the weight lifting off of you? Yeah, troubles are going to come. We're going to slip and we're going to fall. We're going to backslide. We're going to have troubles in this life. Some of it is your fault. Some of it's not. It's just the lousy place we live that God came to correct and to recreate. And when those things happen, you need to know that even though they are evil in themselves, cancer is evil in itself. It doesn't need a silver lining. It's just evil. Death is just evil in itself. Don't try to make it good. It's not good. The loss of a marriage, the loss of a job, the troubles that come into our life, don't try to paint them over and say they're okay. There's a silver lining. There's always some good behind the shadows. No, they're bad. They're as bad as Mount Calvary and as bad as the cross that your Savior hung on. They're not good in themselves. But the evil will not touch you. Now folks, that's worth an amen. The evil won't touch you. Yeah, you're going to stumble, but the evil of the stumble won't touch you. It can't. Someone has interposed himself Someone has become the shade. He has interposed Himself between the sun, the moon, the stars, and every cosmic evil and you. He put Himself there. He's the one that keeps us. Look at verse 7 and and verse 8. The Lord will keep you from all evil. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in. Well, I need to finish. How do you know this, folks? Look, some of you already know what I'm going to say, and for that I am very, very grateful. You're on a pilgrimage, and you're looking around, and you see these hills, and these hills could promise refuge, and they could be a threat. And Dawson and I tell you, week by week, look to God, run to Jesus, trust Him, Daily put your faith in Him. Turn to Him. Throw off the works of darkness. Embrace the works of light. Make your way. Make your pilgrimage. It's daily, every day, step by step. But what's going to keep you going? What is going to take you through that journey? Looking at those hills and looking at the sun beating down and the moon glaring its scary Dark vampires in the dark, in the moon. Werewolves come out in the moon. What? There's another hill. Yeah? There was another hill. The hill far away. Where the best, the beautiful, where he went a place of menace and no refuge. He will keep you, verse 8 says, He will keep you from this time on forevermore. How do you know? Why are you able to put one step? Why when you hear from the doctor things are not going not looking good? Or you're looking at your kids, not looking good? Or you're looking at your job? I don't know. How do you make the next step? The next step is taking you to that hill. For goodness sakes, folks, that's what Christianity is all about. We're going there. To the hill where there is no menace for us on that hill. There is refuge on that hill. Hills were a place of sacrifice. Abraham went to Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son Isaac. And God rescued him there. God's mercy, God's tender love and care Look, you, you're not going to find... There just isn't going to be another expression of that love and care and refuge for you as a Christian apart from that cross. And Jesus, the man who was on that cross and who was is raised from the dead and who now stands beside you, your ezer, your help, and He never will leave you. Never will forsake you. Never. No matter what. Well, what if I do this or that? It doesn't. It is not going to separate you from him. He will track you down. Just try to run away from him. Does our faithfulness matter? Yeah. You've got to trust him. Will you? I hope you will. Father, please help us. Wow, what a mess we are, human beings. We're stumbling through this life, but you have so graciously, by giving us these songs, these psalms of ascent, where we can cry out to you and and know that you will hear us because they're your words, the words that were on the lips of your Son. Help us, please. Save us. Have mercy on us, O God. Amen.